Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is internationally known for her accomplishments as a 10th degree black belt and teacher of the indigenous Hawaiian cultural practice and martial art, the Lua. She is currently the only high-ranking female teacher of this art and currently the only public representative of a Hawaiian woman warriors in over 200 years. Previously, she toured the Midwest as a professional Polynesian hula dancer and choreographer. Today, she uses hula to teach Lua, and she believes it's essential for timing, balance, placement, microbody movements during close quarters combat. She's been featured in magazines such as Black Belt, Inside Kung Fu, Sports Illustrated, Martial Arts Masters, and many more. She's won many awards and been inducted into numerous Hall of Fames. She's been a producer, host, lead actress, fight actress, and fight coordinator in several indie films, series, and projects. She's released one book and is working on releasing two more. She's also been a legal professional for 26 years. Please welcome my guest today, Michelle Manu. How are you doing today, Michelle? Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to it. I'm, I'm excited. I know we kind of touched base months ago and, and kind of lost track of each other, and I'm, I'm glad I reached out again. No, thank you, and I apologize. The summer was just really busy. <laughs> oh, trust me, I know. <laughs> I know what that's like. So what we like to do and, and how we kind of kick the show off, I want to go back to the very beginning. I want to know, you know, where did that first spark came from? What led to your first interest in martial arts and kind of kicked off your martial arts journey? Well, I'm older than I look uh, right now. That might change. <laughs> but um, I, during the time of when I, my youth, uh, there really, this really wasn't a girl's activity. So I was kind of forced to go. Uh, my mother saw a two for one special. So she enrolled uh, my sister and I, we went uh, and there were no other girls in the class. And I think it was about 10 minutes while we were on the floor that I realized it's not a boy's activity. And I started to really enjoy and naturally move in these movements that I was, you know, unfamiliar familiar with. Uh, they just felt good. And I I'd been a dancer my entire life as well as like a competition gymnast. So oh, wow. fascinating to move now in this way and not understand what they're saying. But I, that's when the initial spark, I think the ember began. And uh, so I trained since I was nine years old. And then I found my teacher. Well, I should guess you should re rewind. I mm -hmm. um, started training in different arts in Chicago, where I was based when I was touring the Midwest. And then when I returned back to Southern California, I found my teacher. And, and that's just been my my journey. <laughs> so was that, was that first style the same one you're doing now? Or was that very first style something different? It was something different. Yeah. My, the first style, I never thought I'd actually be able to. The style I, I train now and I teach, mm. it, I never thought that I'd actually see it, let alone have an opportunity to be accepted to train. So 
Yeah. So that very first school, how long did you stay at that very first school? And what style was that? Do you remember? I think it was Kempo American. Oh, okay. And um, we probably were there three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And that yeah. was the Ed Parker system of American Kempo? You know, I don't even remember. Okay. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> so did at any point then, did you get involved in the competition side? I know that's kind of big in, in the Kempo world. No, I didn't. It was just mostly, we were involved in other things as well. Um, plus, you know, quite studious. That was important. Okay. Um, and then really heavily involved in school. You know, like Chicago or Midwest versus involvement in like Southern California is totally different worlds. Right. I, it's not that cool in the Midwest, but it's super <laughs> cool out here. <laughs> and so I was, you know, really involved in school and other activities as well as leadership and, you know, competition cheerleading. So it was nice. pretty busy. <laughs> always pretty active. What do you remember about that very first instructor? You stuck with it for three years. So yeah, it's something it must have at least been somewhat enjoyable. And even though you looked for another style after that, but what what was it about that first instructor that stands out? Actually, um, I remember two of the black uh, brown belt instructors more than I remember the black belt instructor. To this day, I finally piece together who they are. <laughs> oh, nice. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because I I just didn't I, I couldn't find the school now if if I tried. It's interesting. Uh, well, plus I moved so much. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it was. It's interesting being a young girl in development and, you know, physical uh, development at that time and being thrown in to fight the brown belt instructors, the assistant instructors. I thought this was a little too much, but I think that actually was really good for me. So I I remember them allowing me to develop and I I appreciated that. Uh, But I remember the last time when we did, we were doing kind of, you know, best of three and I got nailed in the eye on the third one and lost. But uh, yeah, I was doing pretty good up until that point. That's what I remember. I remember them just throwing you in and seeing how, what you know, challenging. I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those assistants and color belts can be, I, I, I think I might've told this story once on the show, but I, it wasn't my first style, but my, my first Taekwondo instructor that I had when I was in college was, I, I, I tell everyone he was my John Creese. He was not a nice person. Ah! He, he literally, yeah. he was, he was to this day. I, I, when I think about him, I just skin crawls. I, he was not a nice person, not a good instructor. Yeah. He drove me to the point that I hated martial arts and I was going to quit mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. And a red belt noticed this and came up to me after class and said, you know, Hey, I, I think something's wrong. I can tell you're not happy. I don't want you to quit. I think you should check out this other instructor in town. You'll think, I think you'll like him. And that was March of 94. And I've been with that instructor since then. So, oh, how wonderful. So, and I finally tracked down that red belt about two years ago. I'd been trying to find him. And, and like he'd moved, same thing. He had moved cross country. And I finally tracked him down on Facebook like two years ago. And I'm like, I don't know if you remember that. And he, he vaguely remembered it and stuff, but he's like, well, he was instrumental. Yeah, I know. I, 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 just, I just wanted to, I never got to thank you. And he thought that was pretty cool. And yeah, so. Super. Super cool. Someone like that can it, it can be life changing though. So, what belt did you get wonderful. to in Kempo? Honestly, I don't remember. I okay. think it was blue or purple. It wasn't that far. Okay. Um, I know we took a hiatus during those years. I was modeling as well, so wow. we were off, like doing certain things <laughs> here and there. So, you know, I, I, obviously we were consistent, but yeah, not as consistent as probably the rest of the the class. And you really were busy. <laughs> I thought I was a busy person, but <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'm like you. I think I, you must like to stay busy, kind of like me. Yeah, I think we're just executors. Yeah. <laughs> I think we love to produce. I think we love to um, experience. And there are certain people that enjoy that and learning constantly and trying new things. And it helps us get over that fear of failure as well. So then talk, yeah. talk about finding your instructor in California. Kind of walk us through that. Kind of what, what were you specifically looking for that style? How did that happen? Well, when I was in Chicago, I ended up marrying and had my daughter. And so at that point, I didn't really feel 
like I wanted to be front and center anymore. And I felt like I could just tell that I wanted to go back to full contact. And so I started to look for instructors and I visited a school and I could tell he, you know, it, it was a Korean style, mm-hmm. a harder Korean style. And he was nice. He was professional. But I could tell you, they really don't want me there. And then I was looking in the yellow pages because it was before the internet and I saw Lua and I said, this can't be, it's in the yellow pages. This is not <laughs> something normally um, that's advertised. This is a cultural practice and you hear about it. You know, you're not even supposed to watch it, let alone, you know, learn it. It's only for special individuals within the culture. And yeah, I called and, you know, that, that story has been told before, but uh, I got hung up on. And then I called back and I said, I don't know what happened, but I've been an athlete my entire life. I've been studying martial arts since I was nine and I've just returned back to Southern California and I would love to come and watch a class. I'd like to speak to the master, the Alohe. And she said, he doesn't teach women. And she hung up. And so I called back the third time. Nice. And I said, I don't know what's happening. I think we're getting disconnected, but that's okay. I'll just keep calling back. And at that point, she heard me out. She took my phone number, and then he called me 20 minutes later. Wow. And um, that's how I began my training. I He invited me to watch a class, and I went to watch And um, he spoke to me afterwards and said, well, what do you think? And I said, I would love to train. So I signed the paperwork and I showed up the next morning for my training with him. So I was uh, training with my teacher for about two or so years before I was invited to join the black belt class. So he pretty much reprogrammed everything that I had learned. And Mm -hmm. now I only moved in Lua. And what what a remarkable time alone to have with him and one other student, obviously, to work on. But I didn't know when I walked up to that class that evening that my whole life would change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So have you ever got to ask him what made you change your mind? Um, No, I I had heard uh, even after I began training that he hadn't taught a woman since the early 80s. And and this was um, towards the latter part of the 90s that I was accepted. So it had been a long time. I don't know. I think, you know, it's life changes. Like now, before you could train old school out of a Mm -hmm. garage, no insurance, you know, you get some stingers, no one sues you. You don't, you know, it's the padding. Who, what are you talking about padding? You know, you're training (laughs) on a cement floor. Now everyone has mats. The good old days. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think I was like part of that last bit of that era uh, before it ended. Now I have to run my, you know, my school much differently you know, and adjust. I think the, I think that was just adjustment to, you know, eighties was like, you know, the abuse hotlines Mm -hmm. and a lot of some, some of the women now, you know, we're starting to speak up about different treatment, unfair treatment. And I think he just didn't frankly want to deal with it, nor did he want to have to adjust his training to allow for a woman in class, right? right? Disruptive, especially if she's young twenties, you know, and, and people have their eyes bulging out of their head. It's distracting. So I can see why he wouldn't want a woman in the class. <laughs> so quick side story. And I think you'll appreciate this because you're, you're a woman and you live in Southern California. When I lived out there, when I first got there, me and my buddy went and just visited multiple schools just to check them out. You know, I, I, knew, I knew I was going to train in American Kempo. That's why I moved out there. But we wanted to check out other schools. And I think it was a, I want to say it might have been a Hapkido school that we went to. And the instructor was you know, supposedly like an eighth or ninth degree black belt and the class there was a small class like 15 people probably half women half men and we're sitting there just sitting in chairs watching and got there at the beginning they're doing their exercises and he said something to the effect of he's like he's like all right class 50 sit-ups and then he pauses he goes and women 25 and we're like we kind of look at each other and every exercise he had the women do half as many as the men 
And me and my friend look at each other we're like, if he did that in our class back home, the woman would be like, I can do twice as many as the men. Thank you. It's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this was in 1996. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. It, was, it was, I'm trying to remember. I want to say it was up, might have been near like Apple Valley, Hesperia, Victorville, because that's where I was okay, living. Okay. Okay. So, got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was like, wow. I wonder why he did that. That's so fascinating. I mean, especially because it's conditioning. Mm-hmm. Like you should be able to do the same amount. I'm guessing, like I said, I didn't, I didn't ask him. I didn't want to confront him and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm guessing it was, you know, old school that, you know, women aren't as strong as men. It's probably his well, thought process. Well, they're not going to be if you give them coddled <laughs> exactly. treatment like that. Exactly. So, yeah. It was, wow. uh, that, that Thank one, you for sharing I know. That, that always sta- pops out. And anytime I meet a martial arts female from California, I'm like, you got to hear this story. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I wish yeah, I could remember which school. Raising. I really wish I could remember which school it was. <laughs> oh, Brian, that's I, terrible. I do remember the instructor's name. I'm almost positive. I'm not going to say yeah, it on well, the show. Yeah, don't, don't say no, it. No, no. Yeah, definitely not. Ask me afterwards. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> I could well, it's funny because yeah. the other school that I went to to look at was also Hapkido. So oh, that's wow. in before I found my teacher. So it's fascinating. <laughs> that's funny. Wow. Yeah. So now you said about two years you got to the Blackboard class. At what level and w- at what point did you actually start like teaching and helping teach and stuff? Was that around that same time or did that come later? Oh, no. My okay. gosh, no. Oh, no. My hazing or like my uh, <laughs> induction period began then and it lasted about eight years. So wow. you're talking about 10 years in the art before wow. I was even given. So three years after that it had ended um, and it wasn't just a quick shift. Mm-hmm. He started to lighten up a little bit. Um, but, you know, he was trying to get me to quit. That's what he was doing ultimately. Mm -hmm. And if not, if he knew I was going to quit, then he wanted everyone else to see what I had to endure to show like, don't screw with her. And then also for me, you know, can I withstand what the world is going to throw at me being the only female here at this level? Can I continue? Can I handle the pressure essentially? Yeah. Wow. So now when you got to go to the black belt class, I'm assuming you, then you were not a black belt yet. No, I wasn't. Okay, okay. Um, well, I didn't know I was. I actually was. He already prepared my certificate oh. and had my rank for me, but I didn't know that. I didn't oh, wow. know that I actually got my black until um, he awarded me my first degree black belt. Wow. And, and how, I was how shocked. How much later I, was that? Oh my gosh. Was it like a year and a half later? Wow. Okay. Not too long. Yeah. yeah he does this sort of thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yep. So then I'm assuming then you didn't actually have an, like a, an official black belt test. No, no, okay. did not have, no. Every day, every class was a test okay. for all of us. Every day he watched us. Every day he was testing us. Uh, if one of us screwed up, you know, all of us would have to do it over and over a hundred times again. Conditioning. Some would get kicked out of class. Some would not be invited back. He was always, he, he just knew everything. He knew by the way we were breathing, what we were feeling. It was very fascinating. He was very in tune with each one of us. Okay. Yeah. So for the listeners, because I've heard of the art, I know little to nothing about it. You know, a little bit of research I've done over the years. Just talk a little bit about the art and, and kind of what, if someone were to come to the school, what, you know, what would they expect and how different is it compared to some other arts you've done? Oh, well, you don't just come to the school. The school is in an undisclosed location and you okay. will get, no, I'm not joking. Really? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Wow. Uh, whether it's here or back home in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, I don't. I only know of one guy that has a storefront, but his primary art 
art is not Lua. It's other arts. And he tends to blend them all together. Okay. But those of us that are fully Lua, it's an, there's an application process, at least for my group. If you make it through that, it's like a three-tier application process. And then if you're vir- a virtual student, then you don't really receive the address to the Palua, the school. If you're in person, then you'll receive it. But there is no drop-ins. There is unmarked. And uh, that's, yeah, that's how it works. Uh, Lua is the ancient warrior art of the people of Hawaii. And initially started as empty-handed. And, um, of course, weaponry was introduced, our native, so made out of bone, uh, whether it's fish or human, uh, pohaku rocks, wood, obviously, and then uh, shark teeth. And um, so that was before our king became enthralled with metal weaponry in which he traded uh, for certain weapons. And uh, so then at that point, uh, it was a mixture of wood and metal, and then it went all metal. So yeah, so we, we're like strikers, I would say, okay. and, but we do use our lower half as well. There is some grappling, but if you think of the topography of Hawaii and all the differences of the islands, you definitely don't want to be rolling around on Pele's hair or obsidian from, you know, yeah. the dried lava or the jagged rocks or the cliffside. So, you know, we are typically strikers and pretty effective as far as uh, Hawaiian boxing, I call it. We emulate animal movements as well as nature elements, and that's pretty much how we fight yeah <laughs> that's lua for you well what are the weapons like compared to weapons from other styles or what are they different are they specialized for your art um yes i guess it depends too because there were specialized warriors as well some that were from the mauna or the mountain and some obviously from the moana which is the seafaring warriors so you know every district had their own kumu if you will or alohe that would mm-hmm. teach and their style would be different than the the district bordering them uh, and then island to island could be districts and there's family lineages as well um some may be experts in empty hands some may be an expert in just one weapon some may be concealing some of the hula within or messages within their lua so we're all very different and the rules of each school lie in the lead instructor or the head of the the palua the school they determine what is right for their lineage so there's just very a lot of differences out there like if you take a look at hula dance you know from each island they all have their own style some are more planted some are more up on the balls of their feet yeah it's just different styles per island and talk about that you you mentioned hula and i mentioned in the intro that you've kind of blended hula with the lua teaching talk a little bit about that and how that's been working Well, we have historical record of where Hula and Lua were both taught in the same heiau, which is a temple, a school, if you will. And over time, they split. And they've never been really put back together uh, like in ancient times. So it's literally 200 years from when our queen Ka'ahumanu banned the public display of our warrior art of Lua. And at that time, then it went into hiding within the Hula Dam. And while it was still practiced on the outskirts of the metro area where people were looking for violations of this new Hawaiian kingdom law, Uh, If they saw someone practicing Lua, it was still practiced on the outskirts very quietly. But at that point, it was hidden within the hula. So to me, I think it's important to show how these movements, and some will argue like, you know, that was so long ago. How do you know? Well, you can just look, it's open and obvious. And if you have the fluency in both hula and Lua, you can see where it's concealed in both. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like 
having fluency in both you, there is no end and beginning to the other, except for the way that you exert your coup or your masculine energy. And that is at the point of contact. All the rest is Hina and feminine. It meaning it's the setup, it's the potential coiled energy in which then the coup is able to make that contact. So to me, there's no separation. It's just this beautiful wave or nalu of mana, energy, power, and you get to decide where the contact is made. So I use hula today to help. That's really cool. That's the only other time I've ever heard any type of art being hidden in a dance is, is capoeira. I'd never heard that before. So that's kind of cool. Oh, I actually think there's some some styles of the FMA, Filipino martial arts, that also have some martial hidden within their dance. But okay. I'm not, I, I have no, yeah, I don't know any specifics on that. Okay, that's cool. That's really yeah. cool. I'd love to see it sometimes. I'm Like I said, I'm hoping you come back to, uh, to Minnesota because <laughs> I'd love to see it in person sometime. Thank <laughs> you. Cool. I'd love to share it. Nice. Yes. So think back then, you, you said it was about 10 years before you actually got to like start teaching. So think back to that first time you got to teach, whether it was teaching your own class, whether it was just helping in another class to now you've been teaching all this time. What do you think's changed the most about your teaching style over the years? Oh my gosh. Well, I can tell you that I only, uh, it was 13 years uh, since I started training and I had to ask for permission. Uh, I was contacted by the Pacific Association of Women Martial Artists, that's PALMA, uh, here on the West Coast. And their theme that year was rhythm and move, like rhythm and, and music. Mm-hmm. And so someone must have done a search and said, oh, my, you know, is there such a thing as Hawaiian martial art? And, you know, warrior art, martial art, that's how we classify it today. And uh, yeah, they reached out. I don't know how they found me, but they did. And because during my training, I was sequestered like most of my brothers. There's no other females in my in my class. So yeah, I went and I asked my alohe and he said, no, no, not right now. And so and I, they called me again and said, please, would you consider, you know, and I said, I've asked permission. I haven't heard from him. I'm not following up. And then eventually he came around and said, fine, you can teach, but you can only teach these these weapons, I want them all taught like this for this amount of time for this amount of people. And I said, okay. And I was a soldier. I followed orders. That's it. I'm not going to deviate. This is my first time. And that went horribly. And uh, there's no way you can watch five different groups uh, with five different weapons provide quality instruction. And plus, I wasn't a teacher. I knew how to do it. I knew how to manipulate the smallest to the largest of the men. I knew what worked for me. But now you're working with women that have different skill sets. They are of different sizes. They are at different comfort levels of distance to their partner and plus partners also, you know, if they're Mm -hmm. more skilled, they're going to throw a couple things at you to challenge you and not just stay there static. Like, unfortunately, that's most of martial arts. We practice in a static sense with a compliant opponent. So anyway, uh, yeah, I came back. He said, how did it go? And I said, "It it was horrible. And he goes, huh, good. What did you learn? I said that I have to learn how to teach how I teach. I can't be you, Alohi. He said, very good. And he walked away. And I think from that moment forward. It became very important for me to reach whoever I'm sharing with. And my style has dramatically evolved over the years. At one point, I was very martial and what you would say very guy-like, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, serious stuff in which we do. But now, because it's so serious, I work with women outside of the martial realm on self-defense. You cannot teach women the same way you teach men. Right. Men learn by doing techniques first, conditioning, and then their mind gets in 
order. They get control over themselves. They already believe they can do it. And they're, you guys are so hyper-focused. Whereas women have to actually believe first, do the conditioning, and then learn the techniques. So it is completely ass backwards. And I didn't learn that way. I learned as a man, which I'm very grateful for. But I was also the oldest of five. So I've always been very quite serious and executor and, you know, the, the authoritative one in the family. And so, you know, it was more, I was a thrive. It was an environment that I can thrive in. My teacher was very much like my biological father, but a lot nicer, even though very strict. And um, my style is obviously uh, I'm a woman for one, and I'm the only female teaching this art. And I mix it with effectiveness. We have to be, we can't just be martial cheerleaders and choreographers and doing a dance. And if you don't really engage the full body, you look like a cheerleader. It's about moving in this beautiful Nalu or wave, deciding where where you want to go, adjusting to the force that's coming at you. And trying to teach that can be quite difficult. This is where the hula comes in. But my style is engaging. It's high energy and it's challenging. So do do you feel pressure from that being the only woman teaching this art? I think at one point I did years ago, but now absolutely not. I stand rightfully where my teacher has placed me and I'm not equal to the men. We are all one in the same and we support one another. My brothers that I grew up with, but in many ways, you know, in the world of martial arts, I feel superior as far as my conditioning and weapons, weapon handling and the way that I instruct. I feel that I really do impact others and help them to evolve, not just in their martial arts, but who they are as people. And I'm grateful for that. And I can't stand up here and be timid or overwhelmed and still make a difference. I have to own my accountability, my responsibility in holding the title of Kumu and all the responsibility that comes with that. Otherwise, I'm always going to be tiptoeing around and what does that show others, you know? So if I fail, I fail, but I have to give it my best shot. And, you know, when you have all these other individuals of their respective arts standing rightfully in their space, I'm no different just because I'm a woman. Wow, that's cool. How did Hollywood start? I know you've, you've started doing, a, not just started, but you've, you've done a lot of stuff in Hollywood. You've worked in you know movies, TV shows. Kind of how did that come about? I, you know, I find, I, I just think it's generally uh, something that all martial artists deal with. I think that <laughs> if you have a certain look and you are, you have good form and you have a good reputation that eventually someone, <laughs> producer, director, or maybe even a friend that's on a, on a project will be like, hey, I know someone perfect. And you just kind of get exposed to it and dragged in and you agree for, you know, you agree to the experience and then word of mouth happens and uh, you post about it. You share your awesome experience working with the cast and crew. And I don't know, more opportunities come, especially here in Los Angeles. So I don't, I think it's inevitable for some of us to be approached and I didn't seek it out. It just kind of (laughs) happened. So here I am. And of course, I don't just rest in that. I want to become better, right? right? Every, Every project I'm watching, I'm learning, I'm bringing my best self to that and I want to grow. So do you prefer being in in front of the camera acting or do you prefer doing more of the behind the scenes type stuff? I actually enjoy both. Um, I guess it depends on the project. I I actually, I just last Wednesday, I was in Hollywood Hills to discuss a potential opportunity at being a director for the first time for a a long short. And this film is very, uh, it's going to be 
I, how would you say, controversial. It has to do mm -hmm. with domestic violence. Oh. And I was initially contacted uh, to choreograph the horrific uh, scenes uh, between the husband and the wife. And I said, I can do that, but I cannot use my art. That would be a misuse of my ancestors' cultural practice. But mm -hmm. I can, in fact, uh, I've been my own scuffles, uh, you know, growing up and in my youth, I can actually recreate quite a few good scenes uh, from my own personal experience that I survived and, you know, laid a hurting on the, uh, my opponent in real life. And so I actually wanted to put a body cam on myself and, and film uh, the scene like I was the lead actress. And oh, so wow. one thing turned into another. I listened to them talk about the script and I did receive some sides for this trainer, this trainer role. And I thought, why is she sending this to me? But after I gave my suggestions and we looked at part of the script and I rewrote some of it and gave some ideas and talked about camera angles, I got the job. So I'm going to be directing my first uh, short, long short next year. And uh, I'm really excited. I'm also the fight coordinator with one other gentleman who's pretty awesome. I, I don't want to say his name yet. Okay. Uh, uh, he's well known. And then I'm also going to be uh, accepted the role after some begging <laughs> to be the trainer on camera. So I'll be on and off camera for this long wow. short. But I think it's going to be another wonderful experience. I really do. Making it real. And That's awesome. yeah, it's called Project T right now. <laughs> okay. Congratulations. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, so some of these things come up. I didn't seek it out. But now, you know, I'm, I am pretty active. If there's something that, uh, you know, that I know there's a movie that they're casting for, you know, a fight actress or choreographer, I try to be proactive, uh, whether it's me directly through IMDb looking at, you know, the casting agent reaching out directly, or I go through my agent here for the States. So he's great. Okay, yeah. cool. Now talk about your book, your, your book and your upcoming books. Okay, so I w had the pleasure of uh, creating this weaponry book of the weapons of my teacher, as well as some of the more ancient ones he didn't have in his system. And I really wanted to do something different, not just the normal weaponsry book where it has like uh, some history and just the weapon. I wanted it to be kind of shocking. And so I had my photographer, James Trotter, who's amazing. Uh, we worked together very closely on many projects. And it started as featuring women warriors and then it turned into the weaponry book and it's all on a black screen with me in red and then the weaponry in wood and uh, shark teeth or, or rock. It's gorgeous. And for me, I wanted it to be more in the educational, but just enough to kind of provoke or spark curiosity. But I wanted it to be more like a cocktail table conversational book. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have it in a 10 by 10 and in a 12 by 12. And oh, wow. they're just beautiful. And I feel it honors, you know, the Hawaiian culture, my teacher, his family's lineage, as well as all the other ancestral, ancestral lineages of different weapons and also women warriors. So it was just a wonderful thing put together. And this book that I'm about to send today <laughs> oh, wow. to my editor is my thesis that has been converted into a reader-friendly book instead of a very painful academic writing. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, and that's in metaphysical science. And a lot of the Lua also dealt with unseen energy. Um, these were known as the higher levels of Lua that we really don't talk about. So you have physical self-defense and then you have metaphysical self-defense, if you will. Some that work in energy uh, here in the physical realm will know that a lot 
actually happens behind the scenes before it manifests here. And a lot of what's on its way can actually be thwarted before it actually takes form here. And so this was part of the seer or oracle or kahuna, kahu, mm-hmm. um, aspect of the alohe as they led uh, the warriors. So this is why I branched into the metaphysical science area. It's a branch of philosophy. And um, this was uh, awarded, this thesis was awarded for my master's in metaphysical science, but I'm working on my PhD in philosophy and that's in personal transformation. So I hope to finish that dissertation soon. It's just very painful, Brian. A lot of references, you know, and uh, it's just a painful read. So that's probably going to take me a year to convert to a book. Like this thesis has taken me two years. So, yeah, painful, painful birthing. (laughs) So then the the first one and then when this one comes out, can they get those on your website or are those going to be on Amazon? Where can they find those? I I think my editor, Mark, he's going to put it on Amazon. I think that's what he's doing. So it makes it more readily available to everyone. And there is talk about turning it over to some of the metaphysical publishers, but I haven't had a chance to look into that right just yet. Okay. And I also wanted to touch on, read about your your nonprofit that you founded. Talk about that. Oh, this is, uh, I'm going to try not to be controversial. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, a lot of these things like, hey, I hired this vendor to come out and fix my windows. They did a shoddy job. Now all this water is in my house. I ended up having this much of, you know, damage into my home. I'm suing them. And now I've started my own windows company mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure this never happens again. Well, that's kind of about how this was birthed. It was birthed out of uh, disgust. I, I guess I am going controversial. I've been to a lot of halls of fame and I've even hosted and uh, been on the red carpet. In fact, for Masters Hall of Fame at the Roosevelt in 2014, I think it was 16, I did over 80 uh, red carpet interviews and didn't eat dinner. And I just, you know, I've been to a lot. I've done a lot. I've been involved and it's been an honor. I've learned a lot. But going to some of these events, they are just thrown together. Uh, This is for men and women. And you can't really tell it's even a Hall of Fame just because only the reason why you can tell is that there are some awards at this undraped table at, you know, behind the podium. (laughs) And that's about it. So I think what I saw most recently was being a co-host and when there were two women out of eight that were being inducted and for both their title wasn't mentioned, their full history that I'd put together wasn't read Everything was buddy buddy, and but yet the six men were highly honored. Uh, their titles were mentioned uh, before their names. They were given a much more allotted period of time to go over how they've impacted history and the martial arts community world as a whole. And I think I was just I don't I don't understand why this is still happening in 2023. Uh-huh. And so out of that, I I couldn't let it go. And so I spent some time in the unseen, the metaphysical, quietly like what needs to be done here? Is it me? Is it something that I just need to birth and then get handed off? But out of this place where women don't have still in 2023, I really feel that we need our own place. And so with that, um, yeah, I started the uh, Women's Martial Arts Hall of Fame. I've gotten some criticism on the name. Why don't you just start a women's group? I explained it and they then they were in agreement. They understand that this will be a place where it will honor women. Our first event will be June of 2025 in Las Vegas. It's a place where everyone can converge to. 
uh, for less income and they can stay as cheap as they want or as expensive as they want. And there's a mm-hmm. lot to do as well. Yeah. So we'll be having that honoring some inductees as well as just, a, you know, a, award recipients. And I think that anything we can do for the women, it would be better than what we've been given in the past. And um, where you still have halls of fame that have lady of the year, what is that really? Right. I'm no offense, but lady is the wife of a knight. And so I think we just need to understand that women need a, a proper place in the martial arts hall of fame uh, arena <laughs> and where our history can be told. Yeah, that's I really think that's cool. another thing. Yeah, we're going to have a repository for women's history and a magazine uh, for our members. So nice. I'm really excited about it, Brian. <laughs> that's, that's really, really cool. I mean, as, as it gets thank closer, you. let me know and I'll be sure to, to mention it on the podcast. I'll, hopefully oh, I'll still be doing you. this in 2025. <laughs> of course you will. <laughs> I hope so. That'll be fun. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe by then I'll have a few good sponsors and I'll, I'll come broadcast live from your event. Oh my gosh. That would be wonderful. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be really cool. Yes. So now I'm curious now in all your years of martial arts, are you kind of, are you a fan? What are your thoughts on like MMA in the UFC? And is that something you're a fan of? Oh, well, I don't really watch it these days, but uh, I need to because I just got hired to return to Archangel Worldwide MMA uh, on January 20th to be the main color commentator and the locker room correspondent. Nice. So, you know, what I can do here, what I try to do is really showcase the fighters, what Mm -hmm. they've sacrificed, the family that's there to support them. Uh, What are they doing in their life? How do they balance all of that with training? What does their nutrition look like? Are they battling any stingers or injuries going into this fight? You know, what do they want their fans to know about them? And then I switch to ringside and call the fight. And it's really interesting thing being a traditional martial artist, Mm -hmm. but an effective one in today's time, trying to modernize it and, and evolve it to actually defend against individuals that do train in MMA or some of these more serious, uh, you know, martial arts. So it's kind of fun. I, I enjoy it. I, but I think if I, if I was to train it regularly, I would lose the essence of my art. Uh, right. and that would be, you know, protection and self-defense, which is a lot more vicious than just MMA Yes, uh, because it's a sport. So I think that it's good for everyone. And there's a place for each expression of martial mm-hmm. art, if you will. Yeah. Good answer. So in all your years, is there one philosophy you've learned that just rises to the top? It's super important to you. You keep coming back to it. You know, I I guess it's ego. And we think of it as like the linear ego, Mm -hmm. external, internal. But I think it goes back to the question that you asked earlier. You know, does it, how do you feel about being the only instructor? I think once I realize I'm sharing what has been, what I have been gifted, then the kuleana responsibility doesn't feel so heavy. And I can still be myself and still be a very viable opponent (laughs) and a great teacher. So I try just to remember, you know, Michelle, it's temporary, focus on the issue at hand. And it's also about being in this place. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about it. A lot of people are very curious. A lot of people don't like that you're here. A lot of people don't like that you have the platform that you have. Um, So it's also ignoring that and staying very focused on what you have been given to manage uh, and what is your, again, kuleana. Nice. Uh, I like yeah. it. All right. I, ha- I have some fun questions to wrap it up now. Ah, so okay. th- this one, it can be, it doesn't have to be four. I've had as few as two and as many as eight, and it's completely up to you. Who were maybe three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Oh my gosh. 
I think it would be quite a few of the elders. But, you know, also we had queens that also were proficient in Lua. Mm -hmm. uh, so it would probably be monarchy and some of our more recent elders for Lua. Okay. Do so you want names? It's up to you. If you if you want to mention them, it's, it's up to you. If not, that's cool. Yeah, maybe a, a divine feminine too, deity. So Kihawahine, uh, Queen Kukani Loko, uh, Keakealani, Manono II. I would also say, obviously, Solomon Kaivalu, my, my beautiful teacher, uh, David Nui Eva, Charles Ken, uh, Lucia Toralo for her work. Uh, I think I have more than five. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Like I said, I, I've had people do as many as eight before, so that's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to ask for one, and no one could ever give just one. That's when I came wow. up with the, with the Mount Rushmore thing. So <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, it was a little little better than that. But okay, now how about do you have a favorite martial arts book? Mm. Um, yes, but it's not mainstream. Um, Even better. Yeah, it's the the okay. So my first ever because it's out of publication. And it's by Kumulucia Taralo. It's Kui Alua Kaihi Kapu O Na Olohe, which is the sacred law of the Olohe. This book is instrumental on capturing one lineage's movements, maneuvers that ended up making techniques. Uh, so it and it has the history. I love that. There's also the Warrior Arts and Weapons of Ancient Hawaii by Sid Campbell. That's a really good general book. They even have uh, like the warrior formations and how they would march and different weaponry. Wow. And then of course the Ruling Chiefs of Hawaii is also a good one by uh, S. M. Kamakau. He uh, this is a good book because it goes into the the outside of just the martial art. It's how the community interacted and how martial arts was weaved within. And I think that's a beautiful book as well. Wow. First of all, your martial arts, Mount Rushmore, you were the, probably the first one to list names that no one else has ever picked. And same with your books. So that's awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, for the Mount Rushmore, a lot of names get used a lot. I mean, obviously like a Bruce Lee, a Chuck Norris get named a sure. lot. I mean, I, and I like Jet when Lee. people, yeah, gently. Yep. Obviously. But I like when people name ones that I've obviously never heard of a lot and, and just not, not as familiar. So that's kind of cool because it's supposed to be a personal thing. So, <laughs> but that's, Cool. Well, very personal, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> All right, how about a favorite martial arts video game? Were you ever a gamer? Oh my gosh, no, I was forbidden. I actually grew really? up without a TV. Oh yeah, I, I never wow. watched TV, that's why. And I still don't watch TV. So people were like, oh, did you see you were on TV? I was like, I didn't even see it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I am pretty, I'm a nerd. I am, I'm a whole, like, I'm really in my quiet time quite a bit when I'm not out traveling and teaching. It's I either work my legal job all day and go straight into writing mm -hmm. or I'm at the Palua teaching. There's, I actually need to be a little more disciplined in self-care and allowing myself to do things for me where right. I'm not producing. I know you could probably relate to that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well. No, so I don't. <laughs> but I know Mortal Kombat was like huge <laughs> yep. with my younger siblings, you know. Okay. So they, mm -hmm. so they got to play. You just didn't. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the evolution of our parents, you know? Nice, nice. <laughs> well, then these next few might be even more difficult because who, who knows, but do you have a favorite martial arts TV show? Mm, no. <laughs> okay. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> You're not the first. <laughs> there's, there's been a few others that haven't either. So, and I'm guessing this one might be no too, but do you have a favorite martial arts movie? Well, martial arts is in it, but I love the matrix. Okay. 
I think it's just clean, beautiful Kung Fu strikes and maneuvers. It's very beautiful, very poetic, very ballet-like to me, even though it's violent. I love it. I Just the whole concept of the energy and, you know, it's pretty interesting to see. But we look every, any movie I see now, even my grandsons, you know, mm-hmm. who are eight twins, they, anything they watch and even just animation is, it's got martial arts in it. It's so fascinating to me. We don't even realize it's in everything. Yeah. All right. So this question then, it doesn't have to be a martial arts movie. Any movie, just a favorite movie fight scene. Is there one that just stands out? Oh my gosh. There was one by Gina Carano where I really enjoyed. It's so, uh, oh gosh, it was so short. I forget the name of the movie. Isn't that terrible? Let me, let me see here. Haywire. It was oh, Haywire. Yeah. And it was a scene with a well-known actor that I can't remember his name right now, but it was in the diner. And I, it's so short and sweet. And there's also, I hate to say this, but Atomic Blonde, she's up <laughs> in the second story flat yep. and she just uses that garden hose. And I just love that, that scene so much. And of course, Kill Bill, I think the nice. best one was in the mobile home where they just go for it and oh, yeah. uh, just demolish the place. And I loved that scene too. So those are my top three probably right now. I know it's not going to happen, but I'm still holding out hope for Kill Bill 3. <laughs> I really hope he yeah, would Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I know he said he's not going to, but man, that would be awesome if he just surprised us with that. Yeah, that would be wonderful. You never know. He's erratic. <laughs> that, that is true. That is very true. Quentin Tarantino is not, is not standard, right, so yes. that's good. Very, very, yes, erratic. <laughs> All right, before I let you go, anything maybe that I forgot to ask you or we, you want to be sure we mention you know, really quick before we wrap it up? No, no. I Thank you so much for having me. And I, <laughs> I hope I didn't say anything that's inappropriate. I know no, I got strong no. in some portions. No, no, it's great. I mean, this is, it's been fun. Like I said, I, I, I knew very little about you, just a little research I did. And it's been, it, it's been a blast. And like I said, I hopefully I can meet you in person someday. If next time you come back to the Midwest and it'd be, like I said, I'd love to, I'd love to see your, your art in person. And it's, it's been a blast. I can't wait till the episode comes out. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.